you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ on this Christmas Eve as we come out of busy schedules, out of busy lives, out of a noisy world to have this quiet time to ponder the meaning of this incredible event. Amen. Well dear brothers and sisters in Christ, all of us probably are very familiar with Charles Dickens novel A Christmas Carol and maybe more of us have seen movie renditions of that story than actually reading the book, but we know it's about Ebenezer Scrooge and how his heart was changed on that particular Christmas. And it's really a feel-good story, isn't it, as you watch it, because it has a very happy ending. Everyone in the story uh, lives happily ever after. But you know, there's another... Dickens' novel that perhaps more accurately describes Christmas and the way that Christmas feels, at least. Not Christmas, but the way it feels for many of us. And he begins a tale of two cities with these infamous words. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of unbelief. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us, and we had nothing before us. Well, that's quite a statement, isn't it? And yet, as we ponder those words... Christmas also is a time of contrast. It's a time of prosperity, and it's a time of poverty. It's a season of goodwill, and it's a season of very ugly greed. Christmas is a time of family togetherness, and a time of excruciating loneliness. It's a season of light, and it's a season of darkness. Christmas is the spring of hope, and Christmas is the winter of acute despair in our feelings. Don't get me wrong, we all want Christmas to be the best of times. And that's why we decorate, isn't it? That's why we donate. It's why we shop until we drop. It's why we put up trees and we hang tinsel and we cook turkeys and ham and we put together all kinds of toys. We all want a holly jolly Christmas. But let's be honest. As much as we want Christmas to be the best of times, sometimes it is the worst of times. We're our reading from the prophet Isaiah, and of course God inspired Isaiah to write these words in chapter 9, kind of resonates, doesn't it, with the tale of two cities. The prophet's message is also one of, of contrast. It's a season of light and the season of darkness. And I quote from Isaiah 9-2, The people who walked in darkness and those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness. That's how God describes the situation at that time. The people sitting in the dark included the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the land beyond the Jordan, 
Galilee of the Gentiles. Zebulun and Naphtali were two of Jacob's 12 sons, you may remember, who all of them went down to Egypt where along with their brothers they became a great nation. And after about 430 years, God rescued them out of Egypt. And then for another 40 years, because of their rebellion, finally God gave them their inheritance in the promised land, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Well, then we fast forward 700 years to Isaiah's day, and we find that the Assyrian army attacked these northern tribes, defeated their armies, leveled their cities, and exiled many of them to distant lands. It was indeed at that time the worst of times. Zebulun and Naphtali walked in darkness and dwelt in a land of deep darkness. And I would imagine every one of us in this room knows about deep darkness. Some maybe have spent too much money again over Christmas, and now we're worried about our financial future. Others are struggling with health or the health of a loved one, wondering if this might be their last Christmas. I was just with an individual yesterday, and I think it's going to be their last Christmas on earth. Some are wrestling with old hurts that won't heal, with new wounds that won't go away. Still others are missing loved ones this Christmas. And it's either because of distance or because of death, and I know there are those in this room affected by that. Or maybe it's because of cruel, broken relationships. There's an even more foreboding darkness, though, And Jesus explains this one to us in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, and I quote, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. You know, too often, isn't it true that we love the darkness of self-centered narcissism? Boy, that's what our culture really embraces today. We live in the darkness of lies and half-truths and long for more of the darkness. Ironically, our sinful nature eats the darkness up. It longs and craves after the darkness. That's our sinful flesh within us. Well, is this the end of the story? Not on your life. And here is all of Isaiah 9-2. And think about the contrast here. The people who walked in darkness have what? They've seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shined. And this is not just any ordinary light, by the way, but as God inspired Isaiah to call it, it is a great light. The first light to shine in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali was perhaps Gideon. Remember Gideon, it defeated the 120,000 Midianites. Remember how many men he had in his army to do that? 300. 300 men. You can read about it in Judges 7, and it describes it this battle in this way. Grasping the torches in their left hands. Now this is 300 men, and they're going against 120,000 powerful soldiers grasping the torches in their left hands and holding their right hands the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon, 
300 torches. What a light. And soon another light would shine on Zebulun and Naphtali. And that was King Josiah, very good king. And King Josiah marched north with the burning torch of his newfound scroll of God's word. Do you realize God's word was lost for a while? Josiah, it was found during Josiah's reign. And so Josiah takes God's word with him as a lamp to his feet and a light for his path, as we hear in Psalm 119. And Josiah reclaimed Zebulun and Naphtali. He reformed their worship. He renewed their faith. And he did it with God's powerful word. What a light. The great light, however, was yet to appear. And we hear about it through the prophet Isaiah. To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Majesty in the midst of the mundane, Holiness in the middle of cattle manure, Divinity entering the world on the floor of a stable, through the womb of a teenager, and in the presence of a carpenter. What a way God chose to bring light into the world. Well, Jesus is that light. He's the light that took on flesh so that he may take you into his arms, that he may heal your hurts and forgive your sins and my sins and destroy that darkness that tries to invade and control and to consume our lives. Jesus took on flesh and he did it in order to live the life that we could not and die our death so we need not. Jesus is dazzling light. He is brilliant light. No wonder when we confess the Nicene Creed together, we declare that Jesus is light of light, right? Light of light. You know, with Gideon, the light burned out in the apostasy of Baal worship that invaded the land. And it was through the anarchy of his son Abimelech. Josiah, with him, the light burned out in his death at the hands of a pharaoh at the battle of Megiddo. Would the light of Jesus burn out as well? Would this light cease to shine for all time? Would the betrayal, the blood, and the burial and the final cur- be the final curtain call? Is this the end of the story? Not on your life. Because what, are we, what was prophesied? Of the increase of his government and peace, do you remember what it says? There will be no end. Did you hear that? No end. The grave held Jesus for three days, but now he is alive. His promises are sure. His light continues to shine, and there will be no end to his love. You know, on December 17, 1903, something near and dear to my heart Orville and Wilbur Wright got their flying machine off the ground. The airplane was born, 
And in their excitement, they sent a telegraph to their sister. They're out on the East Coast. They sent a telegraph to their sister, Catherine, in Dayton, Ohio. And here's what the telegraph said. And I quote, flew 120 feet, will be home for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Now, when Catherine got the news, she ran to the local newspaper and she uh, showed the telegraph to the editor. He glanced at it and he said, wow, how nice, the boys are going to be home for Christmas. <laughs> he completely missed the point. Yes, it was nice that Orville and Wilbur would be home for Christmas, but a person had flown in an airplane for the first time. That was big news, and it was totally missed. Well, think about that in light of Christmas. The big news of Christmas is that God took flight. God, did he ever take flight? He took flight and traveled from heaven to earth. Well, whether tonight is for you the best of times or the worst of times, whether it's the spring of hope or the winter of despair, the birth of Jesus, announced by Isaiah, witnessed by the shepherds, marveled at by the Magi, leaves us with this good news of great joy. And what would that be? The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. Amen. And now may the peace of God be with us this evening and always as we keep our hearts and minds always focused in Jesus Christ, our Lord, who came in the flesh to deliver us, who is the light of the world and whose light can never be snuffed out and we pray burns brightly in our hearts. Amen. Merry Christmas. <laughs>